Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. Who Law School podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Haley. And we have a super exciting episode today. We recorded with New York City food lawyer Val Madamba. So we're just going to get into that. And yeah, we'll see you guys in a little bit. Hi. Hey there. How's it going? I'm well. How are you too? It's doing good. So I'm I'm Val. I'm based in Brooklyn and I am a food lawyer. That's my specialty. So I've been doing that for a bit now. I, you know, went to law school at Georgetown and have kind of been doing regulatory law ever since. So I like worked at the FDA and I worked in private practice doing food and kind of like life sciences. But what I do now is I work at a food company based here in New York. We do e-commerce food and I'm the regulatory counsel for them. So I do actually a lot of things. Um, It's like food safety, um, food marketing as well, kind of government affairs and kind of everyday business advice. So, you know, I think food law is really fun because you can kind of shape what it means to be a food lawyer. Um, It wasn't really like a thing that I identified in law school or anything that was, you know, this is what I'm going to be because it, it didn't seem to be a thing at that time. But, you know, now I think there are a lot of people who are interested in food law, especially as, you know, the food industry has just grown and changed so much in the last, you know, decade or so and is continuing to evolve um, even and especially today. So it's it's really fun. And what I also do on the side, uh, my, my side consulting business is I work with introverted professionals focusing on lawyers, but uh, it, people in other kind of corporate roles as well to kind of really bring out their quiet talents and and their own strengths, focusing on the fact that, you know, introverts have a lot to offer um, like extroverts and kind of help them shape careers that that really feel good and authentic for them and help them maximize their potential. Um, So I guess what I would like to start with is like, how did you decide to go to law school? Mm -hmm. Why did you want to get into law in general? Yeah, so I wish that I had a more interesting story about that. So I went to UCLA. I was a communications major there. And I really, you know, I wasn't going to be a journalist or anything. Um, You know, I studied mass communications and I didn't really know what to do with myself. I knew that I liked, like I was really into writing and I I did well at it and I wanted to get better at that. Um, But honestly, like my boyfriend at the time, he went to law school and 
when he was a 1L, that was all we talked about. And I was like, huh, I think I could be pretty okay at that. Um, It sounds pretty interesting. And, you know, we'll just see where it takes me. Maybe um, I'm not going to be a practicing lawyer. We'll just see. But maybe that'll lead to a more writing-focused profession. Um, But I really wanted to to go more for the, the challenge of it. And because it sounded like a really interesting exercise and that it, it may open doors. So that's sort of my path. For sure. I identify with that a lot as well. I got my undergrad degree in public relations. So I was yeah. in the school of mass communication as well. And I think I identify very much so with the challenge and the idea of going to law yeah. school as a challenge and being able to do that. So that's really awesome. And that's such a great story. So after you did law school, how did you get into food law and everything? Like, how did that all play out? And yeah. what kind of tips would you have to, for future food lawyer attorneys? Yeah. So like I mentioned, I didn't really, so there weren't any food law classes at the time, but mm-hmm. I did do a great health law course and um, like a health law clinic at Georgetown. And I, um, I kind of decided, okay, what resonates with me is doing something in public health because I really liked it substantively and the impact felt um, really good to me. So being in DC at the time, I kind of was just looking for, you know, those first roles at the health, public health agencies. And I found myself at the FDA. Again, not like, hey, I'm signing up for your food, your new food lawyers program. Mm -hmm. But I happened to be assigned to the group that uh, works with the food center. So I was you know, I, I learned how to be a food lawyer for those yeah. first couple of years. And it was, you know, a really amazing training ground where, you know, I learned all about like making and enforcing the food safety regulations, the food advertising regulations, all of that. So it was really an amazing place to start. And whenever you describe regulatory law, is that basically what you do with the FDA and what you're describing? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, you mean in terms of what I do today? Well, or- I mean, obviously I'm a I don't really know what you mean by regulatory law. So maybe you could just, yeah, give us a little in-depth into that too as well. Yeah, that's a good reminder that (laughs) doing regulatory law all the time. In my case, so it's really about interpreting, right, the laws and regulations that are enforced by the FDA and um, the ones that are most relevant um, like I mentioned a little bit to the food industry, uh, have to do with food safety. And they're pretty complex and it kind of depends on what your business model looks like. Gotcha. Um, so it can be kind of interesting to apply it to something newer like e-commerce, right? Because, you know, regs were made decades ago. So in any case, there's, you know, food safety. There's, like I said, food marketing, kind of like how do you how do you interpret both FDA and also like FTC, rules to things like digital, um, social media. So those are kind of like just some examples of what comes across um, the desk of a food lawyer working in, like working today in a business. Yeah, very cool. Um, I guess, so going into your consulting that you do, um, I'm a super introverted person. Like starting the podcast was something that was kind of my breaking out of my shell. Yeah. So it really is interesting to me, like, what you do and how did you start that? Like, how did you start thinking, okay, well, introvertness is something that a lot of law students and lawyers may deal with. Yeah. For me, I, I didn't start thinking about it seriously as an issue or a thing for me um, until I was in law school and I knew it was going to be a challenge. I knew I had always been 
a quieter type and especially in the classroom setting. Like I was never the first to raise my hand. I was probably never raising my hands like yeah. in school, right? And um, yeah, I think I was always on the more anxious side about like, oh geez, when am I going to be called on and what am I going to do when that happens? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm probably going to like just faint or something. And that was like persistent mm-hmm. um, for me. But in law school, as you know, it really comes to a head because of the way that we classically run law school classrooms. Yeah. And I think that, you know, throughout law school and then, you know, through the early and middle part of my career, I was really, I hadn't even questioned like the fact that if you're successful, we always think of the extrovert ideal and, and that sort of standard, right? And I think for those earlier years, I was really applying that to myself. And when I couldn't, for example, like, or when I wasn't going to be the first to raise my hand or like jump into um, a classroom discussion of like this basic torts issue, my thought was that, well, I guess I'm not cut out for this after all. Like I thought this was going to be a challenge that I could deal with, but I guess it's not. And I guess I'm not Mm -hmm. as competent as the ones who have their hands up all the time. And that's just not the case. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's really what led me to, I think, a few years in to do more research and to think about, oh, okay, so I have this personality, this whole like trying to perform mm-hmm. as an extrovert is just not going to work for me because I was exhausted. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I was not, I was not doing it. I was not able to, to do that. And so that's when, you know, I think something clicked for me. And I was able to dive in to what it meant to be an introvert and to like really embrace it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm the person in class who like never raises their hand. So I, I totally get that. And it does make you feel like, oh, I may not be cut out like to speak in court. Like, how am I going to do that? But I definitely think that there's ways that you can overcome that. And I would love for you to maybe share ways that you could tell law students like how to overcome their introvertness or just learn to deal with it. Yeah, I think... So when we think about the classroom setting that you just mentioned, I think one of the most important things is to just remember and keep repeating to yourself that the Socratic method, like it's an exercise and your ability to kind of perform in the way that you're expected to there is not an indicator of how you're going to perform in real life, a courtroom setting or otherwise. Like I'm not a litigator and I never expected to be one, but you know, as a lawyer, you need to show up in all kinds of settings that you might dread as an introvert. And I think, you know, what I like to emphasize with people is to really try to de-dramatize it, right? And to also embrace and lean into kind of that feeling of nervousness. Because I think at least for me, the resistance to it makes things worse. I don't know if you have similar, had a similar experience, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, when you're sitting in class and you would like to be learning and you would like to be thinking about what's being said around you. But my experience was, I was only thinking about when I was going to get called out and what I was going to do. Yeah. And I think um, for me, at least my first semester was the hardest for that. Mm -hmm. I think once you, you know, get used to, I guess your peers, even you get more comfortable with them. It's been a little easier. Yeah. But do you, I mean, do you think law school makes people more introverted if they start off introverted or can it turn people into introverts or extroverts? Like, what do you think? Yeah, that's a really good question. And maybe, 
you know, it helps to kind of unpack um, or separate introversion from shyness and anxiety, because I think that the way that we grow up with introversion and the way that we like idealize extroversion can make people feel like self-conscious and anxious about the fact that they're introverts. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, being an introvert is neutral. It's not better than being or mm-hmm. better or worse than being an extrovert, right? But, and, and like to separate it from shyness too. I think, you know, if you're an introvert, you may be likelier to be shy, but probably because of that like fear of being judged for being quiet, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because I think shyness is like being reserved because you're self-conscious and because you're afraid of criticism or judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm, that makes sense. So you kind of talked about a little bit earlier, the food changes within the last decade. Could you just mm-hmm. kind of expand on that? Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of consumer sentiment is what has changed and expanded a lot over the years. And, you know, just at a basic level, I think people have a greater sense of awareness of where their food is coming from and what that means for their mm-hmm. health and well-being. Um, and just want, you know, when they want to indulge in something, um, I think that consumers really like to have, um, you know, that information available to them. And they like yeah. to see that companies are kind of doing their best to, to match that ethos and like meet, meet consumers where they are. Um, yeah. So I think that's kind of what one of the big trends that has, has shaped where food is going. And do you think food law is going to become bigger than it is now? in the future now that people are more health conscious? Like, do you think more people are going to be trying to join food law? And if they are, what would you recommend for law students listening now that are interested? Like, where should they look to intern? Where can they, where can you point them? Yeah, Um, I think where I'd start is that there are so many ways to be a food lawyer. And, you know, if you're motivated by wanting to be a part of the industry, you can certainly do the kind of like really, I wouldn't say academic, but like very like food focused stuff like I do. So it's, you know, I mean, I'm reading food labels and packages and, and like actually looking at, um, you know, manufacturing processes. But if food is what you're about, like you could become, for example, like a supply chain expert. Um, You can be a great transactional lawyer because we are going to rely on you to help us with those agreements um, as outside counsel. Um, litigation, of course, right? Like is significant in the food space. That's what I was going to say. I mean, <laughs> right. speaking of that change in the decade, like I think it, the litigation is only going to grow. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I would just encourage people who are interested to think about it really broadly and to start from what they may have an interest in to, and marry that up with food law. Because if you want to be in the industry, we just need so many different kinds of expertise, whether it is litigation, transactional or regulatory. Very cool. So why don't you tell us one thing that isn't on your LinkedIn resume or your resume? Like one thing that isn't on your LinkedIn, isn't on your resume, people might not know about you. Sure. This is usually not on my resume. I don't think it's on my LinkedIn, but um, after working in private practice for a bit, I took a year off to live in Spain, which was really fun. (laughs) Um, And a lot of people were like, why you're 
a lawyer already. You're already like working. Why would you do that? That's something you do like, you know, earlier in undergrad, but I hadn't done that before. And I really just wanted to give myself that experience. I wanted to like learn Spanish for real. Uh, And so I just like, I found a way to do it. There was a program where you could be a student, but you could also work. And Mm -hmm. I found this kind of amazing opportunity to work one-on-one with lawyers in Spain to do kind of like, it was like coaching. It was like one-on-one communications and language work all in English. And, you know, that was kind of like, I mean, perfect, right? You could stay connected to the law, but also have this, you know, kind of create this really cool one-year sabbatical. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was amazing. And where in Spain did you go to? Madrid. Okay, awesome. Because about a year ago, I was in Sevilla and in Barcelona. So I... I really love Spain. But um, I guess in the topic of traveling, um, one of our listeners was debating on whether she should like study abroad. And I feel like now that you've done that year that you traveled even after you're not in Sporn, do you recommend for law students to go study abroad for a summer and take classes uh, possibly somewhere? Like, should they take that opportunity? Oh my gosh. If it's something that is even remotely interesting to you, totally. I mean, if it's available, it can only expand things for you, you know, your experience. So absolutely. We also had another listener question and it was more about the introvert topic, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And she's wondering, so school in the fall may be on Zoom for a lot of law schools and she considers herself an introvert and she's really worried about like making friends. Like how does she form these connections when she hasn't met any of her peers? Um, Yeah. Any advice? Specifically in law school, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm I'm curious because I haven't actually had an experience with um, how classes are being run or like groups or anything. Like, so I'm curious from you first, what is being provided to you? Like, how I guess even technically do you connect? Yeah, so we basically have meetings just like this one um, with our teachers. We can have. We've had anywhere from like four or five people to in a class to have like a hundred, so, yeah, yeah people in our class. And um, yeah, I think it can be one of those situations where you might find yourself really like in, in I don't want to say in the dark, but you can be really reserved on Zoom. So yeah. I think that that might be one of her fears is that she's going to miss out on this opportunity. Is she going to be able to bounce back and make friends? You know, what, how, how can she go about that? Yeah. So, I mean, first thing that I would keep in mind is that in terms of creating those connections and really making friends, like everyone is in the same boat, whether you're extrovert or introvert, like no matter how much you tend to talk, like it is about connection and it is going to be challenging for all of us who are looking to make new connections, but like, it is what it is. We all have kind of access to the same tools. And so once you're like in the room or on the Zoom meeting, just as an introvert, like remember the the ways that you do thrive when you do communicate and connect. And introverts like tend to be really great at one-on-one communications and often are really great listeners. And so that's one of the things that I think can make introverts feel kind of overwhelmed in a meeting situation where they see, where they hear ideas just like mm-hmm. flying and you're like, uh, why, how are people even having ideas? And so that's one of the things that I think 
can make introverts feel kind of overwhelmed in a meeting situation where they see where they hear ideas just like mm-hmm. flying and you're like uh why how are people even having ideas right now thoughts um, yeah and like where I'm I'm just trying, trying to catch to- up um and so when you're on a zoom meeting you know it is old- I'd say again embrace the fact that as an introvert, you likely need that time to take things in and you should really give yourself that space. And, you know, one of the thoughts that I over time learned to, to cultivate and repeat for myself is that it is okay to take it in. It is okay to give myself that space because I do my best when I listen actively. And then I do try to it's not like an excuse to just kind of be in the back row forever. I mean, mm-hmm. I want to contribute, but I know that the way that I tend to contribute is like by absorbing everything and then, you know, asking a question, which is usually something that maybe someone hasn't thought of yet or pointing something out um, that's from a different perspective. Um, you know, just because I've been listening and, and noticing um, everything. And that's just something I think introverts tend to do. So I, I'd say on Zoom, like, just experiment with that and know that, you know, even if you're not talking the most, like you have a way to influence and to contribute and to be noticed and kind of let that um, help you sail through it. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, I was about to say, that's really good advice because I can only imagine as someone who's starting out their first semester of law school on an online Zoom class can be really intimidating. So, And I think also because now when you speak up, you know, everyone is, you're being watched by everyone, you know, in class, it's like, okay, no no one's going to be staring at you usually if you're sitting in the back row. Oh yeah. You know? So I think it's, it's going to be different for a lot of people. And I think you just have to learn to deal with it. And also like there's like group messages where they can talk and maybe she can reach out to some people that she thinks she might be friends with, but yeah. I know it's hard to do that. You're like the more, per- you're the person who reaches out more than yeah. you. But I like the advice that you gave that uh, it's okay to take it in and take a second mm-hmm. and evaluate your situation. Like don't be afraid to be quiet or shy, you know, I do consider myself an extrovert. So I'm kind of the one who talks a lot and sometimes silence is something I've had to grow to appreciate. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. either way, don't be afraid to fill that silence if you're an introvert, you know? Yeah. Do you have any general law school tips, like things that you would want your younger self to know before you started law school? We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you are currently hooked on Never Lie by Frieda McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. 
And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. Oh, wow. That's, that's a good question. I would say, um, I wish that I had been more disciplined (laughs) and that's probably like not a surprise. Like it's, it's just so tough. Like, again, just relating back to what we were talking about before in introversion, I was just so caught up in, um, meeting a certain standard. And I just wish that I had freed up more of my energy to just do the work and to just to be in the challenge that I had envisioned for myself going in and just to like, let it be hard and let it be overwhelming um, rather than like being so, I guess, focused on um, performance. Cause Mm -hmm. if you care about being in law school and you're willing to undergo the challenge and it's, it's hard, but if you, if that is something that is important to you, you're going to be fine. And it's, it, it really, really will be. And I think it's hard to know that going in three, you know, like, um, being in the process, but you know, I'd wish I'd just like relax a little bit more about that and been disciplined about like committing to the substance. So, um, and just taking on that challenge by itself. Yeah. I, I even think that sometimes I'm yeah. just for myself, in my past semester of making sure that you learn the substance rather than worrying about getting called on. So yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. And that's a great point. You know, mm-hmm. what we I was just going to say, that's a great point um, to remember that like, it's not just introverts who get psyched out by cold calling. I mm-hmm. mean, it's kind of a horrible experience if you look at it that way. And it's just like, it's a very unique experience too. Cause it's, yeah. it's doesn't happen mm-hmm. anywhere else and you're like why are we doing this but you know we always have a choice to remember that like everyone's going through it and mm-hmm. you're not gonna die after it's over yeah I mean I have to just constantly remind myself that if I make a fool of myself no one's gonna remember most likely because they're just as nervous about to get called on that mm-hmm. they probably didn't even listen to me and telling myself that has made me more comfortable speaking in class but yeah and just like you said before it's no representation of how you're going to be in the courtroom or on a test or in your brief or your memo so it's just one tiny piece of the puzzle I think that's how I always have to think of it because I know just like you you're saying it can be overwhelming and you can really consume yourself and worrying and about being called on and everything like that so definitely did you have a favorite subject in law school you know my favorite subjects tended to be um my favorites because I love the professors and Mm -hmm. so again I like can't escape this topic but I loved torts because I mean first of all torts are kind of fun because 
you know, they're like pretty easy to understand the situations, right? Yeah. But the um, the professor was just like he never cold called, and he mm-hmm. was he was just captivating. So yeah. it was almost like this cinematic experience where I knew I didn't have to worry about um, getting called on, but that I was going to get so much out of it because he was just on display and like his mind, right? It was, I was just like entranced. So that's why I loved torts. Yeah. And I find that really ironic that he didn't cold call. And of course you're like, I love that class. I didn't have to worry. So (laughs) yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think professors, there's certain professors that know that I feel like Socratic, the Socratic method is good, but also there's a lot of people that may not benefit from it at all. Yeah. You know, they might, like you said, instead of looking at the substance of it, they're just worrying about, okay, let me just make sure I've memorized this case just in case I get cool. Yeah. Out, you know, so. Have you had any professors who have um, explained why they do it or have helped students just understand what the purpose is and kind of help you with that? Well, I think they have, okay, I don't think specific professors have explained why they do it, but I think our school has pretty much, it's so we're prepared, you know, so we get the work done and we show up to class and we um, can show the teacher that we're engaged, engaged, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. Sometimes I feel that in classes where I'm not getting cold called on, I am more attentive. I'm not so stressed. So I don't know. Do you, do you know why schools do it? It is, um, it's an old school method and it, you know, started out with our oldest institutions um, and it, and the Socratic method on its own is um, a form of inquiry and exploration, right? Like outside of law school um, that is, it goes back to Socrates, right? So um, it has its place for sure. And I, do think it has some value, but I think that, you know, it is important if you're going to be an educator to help um, your students understand why you would choose to continue using it. And I think, you know, to help them understand again, that it is only an exercise. So if you commit to the exercise and you're really in it, you can kind of like depersonalize it and get what you get out of it. And it's not, um, like you said, it's not certainly not the only way to learn. Um, You know, I taught like, I've taught a law school class and, you know, I did do some calling on, but not as um, like my default method. Mm -hmm. I I tried to explore, especially based on my experience with cold calling, you know, alternate ways of getting people engaged, like a lot of group work, um, some role-playing and, you know, not everything will work for every student, but um, there are ways, and I think including in the 1L experience, um, to teach that are not the Socratic method. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone learns differently. So mm-hmm. I feel like the Socratic method could be great for learning, but I feel like more supplements to that. Like we had a few teachers that did group work and uh, stuff like that. And that mm-hmm. was really, I like the hands-on experience, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What class did you teach? I taught food law. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So where do you live now? Where do I live now? Yeah. Oh, I live in Brooklyn. Very cool. Very mm-hmm. cool. So you went to undergrad at UCLA mm-hmm. and then you went to directly, you went to law school after that. 
Um, I just took a year off to, I was living, you know, in California with my folks and doing like, I was working in a call center at a newspaper. Um, And that's like when I decided to go to law school. Okay. Very cool. And then you moved across the country Mm -hmm. and went to Georgetown. So what was that like? Oh my gosh. I hadn't spent much time on the East coast at all. Um, Mm -hmm. And DC is so, it's so great. Um, But you know, it was definitely culture shock in a way that I hadn't experienced. And, you know, over my years living there, um, you know, it's, it's such a special culture in DC because of the kind of work that people tend to do. So on one hand, it was like this crazy immersive experience where like, you know, I couldn't get away from the kind of work that I did. Um, But, you know, on the other, I was, I was also, after a couple of years, like, okay, I, I think that I could get used to living in a place where it's not like all law and all the hill, yeah. <laughs> but it's still, I still, um, real private practice experience. And I knew I, I really wanted to get that under my belt. So I did go to a large law firm after that. And I was doing medical device work. Um, and then I went, that's when I, um, went to Spain after that, after a little bit of time there, um, took that break and then, um, came to New York kind of because I had always wanted to (laughs) try living here. And I loved the city. Um, I wanted to explore something that wasn't DC for a bit. Uh, so I came here and I went in-house to, um, uh, two different, um, pharma companies Mm -hmm. that are in New Jersey so I spent a couple of years there and I was, after a while, you know, I, I had learned a lot about like everything that the FDA regulates. So I was feeling like, okay, I'm getting better at this. Um, I feel like I know it, but like, I felt like where my heart was, was in the food industry. Cause I just, I just, it resonates with me so much. And I have always like just been a food person mm-hmm. like forever. Um, and when I heard about this opportunity to kind of work with a young company and kind of establish a lot of the um, regulatory piece, um, I just kind of jumped on that. And I really wanted to get back into food, like I said. So um, I've been here for a couple of years and been a great fit. And what are some of your favorite things to do in New York? We pretty much ask everybody that because yeah. I love New York and I'm always looking for new things when I visit. So what are your like top three favorite things to do? Okay, so it's so sad right now because I just miss the restaurant so much. I mean, I think everyone does, right? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's something that drew me to New York. Of course, the like, food scene, right? Yeah. Like, I literally dream about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just, like, even my neighborhood spots that aren't, like, the best places, but they're, like, my places. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something everyone's going through. But um, for New York, I would say just exploring the food scene, like top to bottom. That's one favorite. Um, I'm trying to think of original things, but like, I'm not feeling especially original. (laughs) Um, But, you know, just the museums, like love, right? And that's something Mm -hmm. I can do with um, like friends, with my husband, by myself. Like I'm, I'm a big like solo museum goer. Yeah. Um, So I love that. And I think we're 
all kind of clothes, the ones mm-hmm. that... Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so... This can be for later, too. And I'm sure <laughs> it's hard because you haven't been able to get out and do your favorite yeah. thing, so... <laughs> yeah, and I would say, okay, so, again, I love just, like, kind of the buzz and energy of New York. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the big things that draws people here in general. And I just loved spending weekends... Um, like in a coffee shop and just like me and my book or I just go with a friend or whatever and just like being around um, that kind of energy is definitely in the top of my list so all things energizing yeah that's like the New York feel the hustle and bustle people like that that's awesome so do you feel like New York is your home forever um that's a good question it's kind of I don't know maybe it yeah, it's it's a great city. You know, um, my husband's from Sweden. And so mm-hmm. he's lived here for a couple of years now. Um, but you know, we have no idea where, yeah. <laughs> where things will take us. But for now, we love New York. Well, um, we would love for you to just plug all your uh, info, your website, tell them where everyone can find you. And yeah. 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 I mean, the best way to find me um, from my consulting work is at quietadvocate.com. Um, I am always open to, you know, for hearing from anyone who's interested in chatting. Um, so find me there. And otherwise, on LinkedIn, just find me Valerie Madamba. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, yeah. Val. This is really Thank great. You guys. So much. Same here. And congrats on um, finishing 1L. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Make sure to follow us on Ladies Who Law School podcast on Instagram and also follow us on our Facebook and um, you can find our Facebook group there as well. If you've ordered merch, it'll come. We've been working with our third party print provider and they've told us that everything should be shipped out by next week. But if you have any issues with your order, just reach out to ladieswholawschool at gmail.com. But anyway, we will see you guys next week. Bye.